This is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and you're listening to Project-Based Learning in Practice. Thank you for tuning in to PBL in Practice, a weekly broadcast where we talk with top leaders in project-based learning to discover best practices, share successes and failures, and learn from each other. My name is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and I've been an educator for the past 10 years, focusing specifically on project-based learning. I had the amazing opportunity to speak at the White House in 2015 to share how PBL looks in my classroom before a room of national leaders. I'm a member of the National Faculty of Buck Institute and founder of Remix Education, a nonprofit that serves first-generation college-bound students. Enough about me, let's get into our guest. Our guest for today is Jill Akers. Jill has been an educator for over 20 years. Her experience spans teaching and leading in preschool, middle school math, high school engineering, technology, and at the university level, training school leaders and professors. She's passionate about travel, being outdoors, problem solving, and self-directed learner experiences. Her goal is 20 by 20, experience 20 countries by 2020. She has three countries left. Next up is India. Before we get into our podcast, let's hear a word from our sponsors. podcast is brought to you by the Buck Institute for Education, who believes that all students, no matter where they live or what their background, should have access to quality project-based learning to deepen their learning and achieve success in college, career, and life. As a teacher and coach, I can honestly say they have some awesome resources available on their website. Everything from books to project planning guides to project calendars, rubrics, assessment maps, you name it. They offer services that can really help your staff or district implement high-quality PBL, including training, coaching, and my favorite, Project Spices, where educators get the experience of going through a PBL project as if they were students. Check out all they have to offer on their site, www.bie.org. Again, that's www.bie.org. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We finally got to get, we finally got connected. Yes, yes. It took, took a little bit of connecting over Twitter and back and forth, but I'm, I'm glad we're finally having you on the call. So this is going to be great. Uh, Jill, we just heard a little bit about your background. So is there anything else that our users, our users, our listeners <laughs> should know about you? Um, I've been an educator for many years because this is what I love to do. I always wanted to go into education. Um, I'm an outdoor door fanatic. We love to be outside. Um, I spend my free time with my husband and um, my daughters. We um, spend a lot of our time fostering and rescuing animals, mainly German shepherds. And so we have three in the house right now that we were fostering. Well, actually not anymore, they're failures. We call them foster failures because we fell in love and ended up keeping them. And (laughs) so we have lots of dog hair, but lots of love. They keep us busy. And it's really been um, a phenomenal experience to watch my daughters, um, 
really build their own capacity around empathy when it comes to fostering and taking care of an animal and then giving that animal up to a family to make room for a new Mm -hmm. animal. And that's been a really powerful experience for my kids. So we we love it. Um, Seven-year-old names them after her favorite foods. So we do have a major cheeseburger (laughs) and a Frank Sinacho. So it's pretty fun. Frank Sinacho. That is so innovative. I love it. (laughs) Yes. Quite a ride. She had to give up Frank Sinacho. So that was a tough moment for her. She loved that animal. So it was a really big learning experience. And then watching that animal shift to other homes and following it. It's been a really powerful learning experience that um, we're actually trying to work on bringing um, a pet partner's dog to their campus now. And so she's been kind of spearing Mm. that on her own, which is quite exciting. I was actually going to say that sounds like something that sounds like a project that a class could take on, you know, like this kind of nurturing of an animal and like preparing them for a new home. That's that's really fascinating. So it is. Yeah. We could go we could go into that. We could go right? <laughs> into we that could. and create a project out of that. But <laughs> exactly. um, that's what right. us teachers do. Everything becomes a pre- like, oh, I can use that. Right, right. <laughs> we turn everything into an authentic project. Well, um, let me ask you this. Uh so what actually brought you into the world of project based learning? Well, when I um, graduated college, I, um, interestingly enough, put a map up on the wall and grabbed three darts, and I figured I would choose one of the locations to go and live based on where my three darts landed, and the first dart actually landed on Colorado, and so I literally packed my car up and moved out to um, Vail, Colorado, and found a job at... um, experiential learning style school where um, it was wall-to-wall project-based learning and um, every Wednesday we had to actually use the community to teach interdisciplinary projects so I had to partner um, with my teammates to design interdisciplinary work and I taught math and um, so really focused heavily on, on bringing math and making it real and using our community to help support that and really um, change the connections between what we do in the real world to what we're doing in schools. So we were producing kids who didn't um, experience siloed learning, but actually experienced a real powerful connection with their community and their environment as we built um, and designed project-based learning units for them. It was a really powerful experience. Um, We partnered with folks like the Bureau of Land Management to track elk migration in the area Mm. to then put the elk migration signs on the I-70 corridor through the area. Um, Oh, wow. With places like the Audubon Society to help repopulate bird populations. Um, We did a student-led symphony program. Um, So it was really um, an amazing way to start your teaching career because... I don't know any other way to teach. So, uh, and I was instantly bonded with a team and we were a village. Uh, You know, we didn't, it wasn't me and just my students. It was really, we were a community of learners and we cared for everybody within our team and all the kids. So it was really powerful for us. It was an amazing journey. And I'm grateful for my mentors who really helped me through that process. 
Wow, Jill, that that's really interesting. I I noted the part where you mentioned how every Wednesday you were kind of required to do kind of that community piece or that community outreach. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that was like a major component of why you all were able to forge these great partnerships um, and bring these really authentic projects to your students? Like that, because that was embedded in like the structure of the school? Absolutely, absolutely. We were supported by our campus principal um, at that that many years ago, we didn't necessarily have um, instructional coaches. And so, we, well, we didn't have them at all. And um, so our principal really made that a value in the school and she supported that process. So she would either come in and cover our class while we needed to connect wow. with a community partner or she would um, allow us to bring community partners in and work with setting up the partnership with the students during the process. And so um, we used our school um, or the public transit system to really coordinate our trips. And so they would um, make certain stops to help ensure that our kids got on and off the buses in, in a really close proximity to where we were trying to go. And, and it really supported as our, our students in understanding that the community is there to support them and help them yeah. integrate their learning in a real way. It was very um, powerfully supported by the principal of the school. I was, I was going to say that's, that's real powerful leadership to have the principal just say, I'll cover your class, go out, get those community resources. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> we need more of that. That's awesome. Right. Um, so, Jill, what do you consider to be your PBL superpower? You know, this was really challenging. I, I sat down to kind of really think about what is it. And I don't think I can claim a superpower. I think mm. what I've taken away is that I'm a learner. And I try new experiences. I take risks. And I make mistakes all the time. And I think always being a consistent learner keeps me in that beginners or learners mindset of what the struggle is when you're bringing something on and what it's like to simmer in the ambiguity. And that's really molded and shaped my ability to remain student-centered while at the same time allowed me to be supportive and resourceful for the teachers and the school leaders that I work with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I have a superpower, but I think that one thing I continually rely on and then and work on as well as the power of listening and questioning. So if I had to say a superpower, I think it would be that my experience has taught me that it's not about me and my ability. It's about, I need to listen and question to help the person I'm working with, whether it be an adult, whether it be a child, um, to really begin to ask questions and find their curiosity and find the relevance to what we're working with so that they can build their confidence or understanding around what we're doing. And that's been a huge piece for me to then always bring the work back to the learner's voice. Right. For me, um, my school experience starting in kindergarten was not a positive one. Um, I am a questioner. I, um, it's not that I don't like to follow rules, but I, I like to find the reasoning why behind those rules exist. And if I can find a loophole, <laughs> I might. So my, <laughs> the first year I was suspended from school was kindergarten. 
And probably oh, every oh. year after that, um, I was a kid <laughs> who used to ditch class in middle school and go hang out in the HVAC system, crawling through tunnels to go actually listen to interesting teachers because I really wanted to learn. <laughs> I was bored. And so I, yeah. I take a lot of that into the work that I do in that listening and questioning is a huge part of this process. Yeah, no, no. That's that's interesting, and I'm starting to notice a pattern of folks I interview. It's funny. Um, <laughs> all of these dynamic PBL teachers and coaches, we all have this similar story of us just being a little disengaged, but a little curious about school, and that kind of like led us to to where we are today, and and seeking out that authentic learning. So, right, that, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I had this. Uh, Teacher used to grab me by the ear into her class, and oh um, no! But she was she took our work beyond school, and mm-hmm. she's the only teacher I remember from my K twelve experience besides my chemistry teacher. But he was really cute. Um, so, <laughs> but her she was powerful, and she taught us to turn. You know, as eighth graders. Um, there's a lot of negativity and a lot of complaints. And she really taught us to turn those into questions and to dig deeper into who we are and what we brought to whatever we were doing. And, you know, it it was really powerful to watch a teacher do that. And our work had to be public. And that was really important. That always stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, given uh, experience with your K through 12 schooling and your work now as a coach. Um, give us a story about a breakthrough PBL moment for you. It was funny thinking about this. Uh, it was like fireworks. It was in 2008, and I had just become the International Baccalaureate Coordinator for our um, middle years program and starting our DP and PYP programs the year after that. And so... Um, you know, I was a strong PBL teacher, but having to turn that to adults and work with adults to really use inquiry and think about problem solving and to truly believe that all kids can learn was the toughest challenge I'd ever faced as an educator. I had two years to do this and, and to really do it well because I cared and I was passionate about the school that I was in. I was one of the founding teachers on the campus and we were a K through 12 um, college preparatory program, but for um, inner city youth, whether if that's even the right way to say it. And, um, you know, just folks that had a low socioeconomic background, um, immigrant community, um, we were all really passionate about that work and, and failing was not an option for us. And coming right. from a KIPP background and, um, you know, bringing some of that to bear, it was really important for me. And so the first year, you know, I used a lot of words like, you need to do this, you should do this, I have to see this. You know, I, I taught teachers how to do it, I told them what they should plan, but I didn't honor their experiences, um, what they brought. I did the opposite of everything I would model myself in my own classroom. Because I didn't mm-hmm. look at it from an inquiry-based and the learning perspective from adults. And 
I really failed my first year. And I had a patient and supportive leader who really challenged me to dig deeper. And I realized that problem solving came in stages. And it was very, every person reacted in such a different way because they came from such a different place. And as a coach, for me, PBL meant I needed to listen and ask questions and help that person from their perspective. And that is really the foundation for me of assessment. Um, you, ha- you can't ask questions and if you're not listening and assessing and valuing what folks are saying. And that's what I do in my classroom with students. And so that really defined my perspective. And I took a huge deep dive into how to change my practice based on my experience, that it wasn't the teachers or the school or the experience. It was really how I was responding to them. And was it perfect after that? No. And I still make tons of mistakes and my enthusiasm overrides my judgment a lot, but it's really taught (laughs) me to be better, a better listener and to um, reflect on the questions and be intentional about what I'm asking. Yeah. And I love that that thought of problem solving happening in stages. And I think that sometimes as coaches, we can forget that, you know, adult learners go through those stages as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're right. Those first maybe few years of of coaching, you're coming in strong with what should happen um, instead of allowing that process to um, to happen naturally. So I think that's a really good reminder for all of our coaches that are listening. So um, what would you say has been your most challenging PBO moment? And you kind of touched on this a, a little bit, but maybe if you could give us a specific example of a challenging PBO moment. Sure. I think um, one of the most challenging and powerful moments was coaching a veteran year of 20 teachers or of 20 years, not 20 teachers. And, you know, my role is to transform teachers from 100% lecture to 100% wall-to-wall PBL. And this teacher fought the process tooth and nail. She verbally shared with everyone on campus her dislike for me, for what we were doing and how we were transitioning, and that, you know, it wasn't good for kids. It got down to the point where just give me the recipe and give me a script and I'll do what you want. And And it was really challenging for me because as a PBL coach, I couldn't give up on that teacher because they couldn't do it. This was the value of where the school was going. And I was supported by the school leader to um, really, when I was there, come in and work and find different ways for this teacher to shine as hard as it was to find those small moments. And so, you know, Getting someone to look at the world through a PBL lens meant really changing and getting, not changing them, but getting them to see the power of doing authentic work and that it's not just about kids memorizing work, but it's about building their capacity both around content and who they are as people and what their strengths are and what they bring to the table. And we worked for, together for months. She used the same PowerPoints for your, like the moment PowerPoint <laughs> was brought into this world. She'd been using the same one in the same order every year. Her kids took notes the entire time and she lectured. And to really create an inquiry-based space was asking her 
to face her fears that she wasn't going to be good at this. And that took a lot of strength for me to continue to work with her and not make invalidate her fears, but get her to really see that her loss is also balanced by a gain. And how do we highlight and honor students? And it truly happened when one of her struggling students began to shine and really shine brighter than the honor students, asking for more. They wanted more of the expectations because their work was real and relevant. They didn't always have a personal connection, but they developed a relevant connection because the work was based on human beings and they knew their work had impact. And that, that was the tipping point for her. But it took a year for us to get there. So I think the most challenging is, you know, taking that gift of listening and questioning and combining that with patience when we're asking adults to do something that goes against the grain of, the, of what they've always done. Yeah. And that, that concept of, you know, helping to pull out that vulnerability for, especially for a teacher that has used, you know, their tried and true lessons year after year. That's, that's really, that's a hard thing to do. So yeah, and, and it seems like the students really helped her to make that transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to give you a scenario um, as a coach, how you would handle this situation or how you would coach a teacher that's in this situation. So you have a room full of students and your project is all over the place. Uh, the students in this class are not motivated to work together. Um, they're behind, the teacher's behind on their scope and sequence and the administrator's really coming down their back. Uh, what would be the first thing you would advise this teacher to do? I think the first thing I, if I were able to coach them would be to um, find a stopping point, sit down and really analyze the project process not necessarily manage it at this point, but really analyze the process and what's happening and taking the students back to really what the authentic challenge is. Because, you know, if we move past what, you know, from all different areas, project launch, opening your project, your driving question, your entry event, did our students really connect to the authentic challenge? Because if they're not truly connected to what that is and we let them go beyond and not assess whether their understanding of the purpose behind the challenge and really what it is, if they don't, then we really have the beginning of an achievement gap that we're never going to be able to close. And so I would really go back to that point with a teacher and look at the formative assessments and how they built trust during teams, making sure that they... um, use protocols for brainstorming, things like open, narrow, close, and building some of that team to then help them tighten up the, like, the next stages or parts of their project and going back and how are we cycling through with those content pieces to make sure that there's a really strong um, blend or confluence of both the content and the skills as they relate to that authentic challenge and then helping them understand which learning modalities really focus on the different, the different kinds of thinking during each stage of that project. And then yeah. sometimes, you know, I, and I've done this myself as a PBL teacher, sometimes it just didn't fly and I would scrap the project. 
Yeah. And really reevaluate, you know, am I designing it with my students as the end in mind or am I just designing it with my content as the end in mind? Because kids can smell fake and spy a scenario really quickly. And after a couple scenario PBL projects, they just become like worksheets. But when you're doing real work with kids, that's when we can start to really tighten up the content through the flow of that project. Right. That answered your question. I hope. No, that that does. And I think that reconnecting students to the authentic challenge, or else you'll have, like you said, you'll have an achievement gap within the classroom. I think that's really insightful because you can keep pushing through a project and you'll have a few kids and make that connection. And then you'll have some other students that are just lost in the sauce. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, this was a great way for me to work in a group and kind of chill for maybe (laughs) a few weeks, but I didn't get anything. I didn't really take away from it the the content that I was supposed to learn. And so I think that to to stop the project altogether and take some time to step back. Yeah. One of my dearest and closest friends, she's a professor at UGA and we call ourselves, um, there's a whole group of us who started teaching together our first year at um, this school in Colorado. And now we're five old lady teachers after 20 years, we call ourselves the edgeaholics. And um, (laughs) she was doing her PhD and working um, on ethnographic studies. And so she really shared with me and taught me about observation and listening to design formative assessment. And so that was really powerful, the, um, the skill of observing what's happening to your students and understanding your content when they're articulating the work around their project. Are they articulating it with naive misconceptions or really strong hold and grasp on the content to explain their thinking? Or if they're out in left field or out of the ballpark completely, we as the facilitators, that is the part where we really use our content to guide our formative assessments based on the way we're asking kids to articulate their thinking. And that's a really challenging piece for a teacher when you have 25 to 30 students in a room and you teach five or six classes or you have multiple preps or you're in a self-contained classroom and and you haven't done your grades and, and you forgot to pay a bill last week and you know you're fighting with your boyfriend or your husband. I just you know, those are skills that come with practice and support. And the more we can find support from others and really talk and reflect about this work helps us be better observers in the classroom. Well, I will say all of our listeners today have become better classroom facilitators after spending some time with you and kind of just soaking up a lot of this thought around coaching, facilitation, assessment even, um, but really questioning and inquiry. So thank you so much, Jill, for joining us today. It's been great. How can people keep up with you if they want to uh, learn more or share with you? uh, How can they keep up with you? Um, You can find me on Twitter at IBPBL, Jill for International Baccalaureate, Project-Based Learning, you know my name. Um, uh, You can find me at fieldingnair.com and um, That'll show you the schools uh, that we've worked in or I've worked in. And um, I usually share my travels and experiences and try and share 
the projects that I'm working on with teachers on Twitter. So that way we can link and connect teachers and um, really start to build a, a global PDL connection for everybody to share and learn from each other. So I hope to see everyone on Twitter soon. Awesome. Yes, definitely. So thank you so much again, Jill. And uh, we hope that you enjoy your week. You too. Thanks, Shayla. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in again to this week's episode of PBL in Practice. Have an awesome week.